We're going to be in the book of Philippians again today. If you'll turn there. We're going to finish up chapter 2. If this is one of those passages that as I've I've been reading it over and over this week and at first I thought well there, there's probably not a full sermon in these verses and the more I got into it the more I realized no I think there is so it's it's not it's not maybe the most it's definitely not the most um, well-known part of the book but there's a lot in here Kind of in a more subtle way, I think, um, that God has given us this. So God, God be with me that um, he would bring this out um, to us this morning. So let's pray. Father, I thank you again for this day. I thank you for our musicians and our singers, the talent that you've blessed us with there to lead us in song. And praise you for music and that gift you've given us. And I just pray, Lord, as we look at these passages, as we look at the examples we have set forth with Paul and Timothy and Lord that that we would better understand um, the attitudes to have towards you and towards your people God that you would help that to come out that you would open that in our hearts in Jesus name amen so in the book of Philippians um, we've been going through and we've seen so far the Philippians concern for Paul because he's in prison while he's writing this book. And they, are, they have a concern for him. Um, there was a big concern of what's going to happen if Paul is martyred. Their concern was for him. And their concern was also for the church. What Paul started this church. What's going to happen if, if he's martyred? And, and you know, there's some, there's some major concern there. And we've seen Paul's reassurance of God's providence in all of this. He reassures them God's in control. And we, we can see how much good has already come out of this persecution that he is under. Last month we saw the encouragement to have a joyful attitude in, it, in order to shine the light of Christ. To have a joyful attitude in the things that we're doing for Christ. And we need to make sure that we have that light in our lives as we go forward and proclaim Christ. So today, we're going to see some more practical insight, kind of what's going on historically, and some and how Paul interacts with some other brothers in the church, and how the church operates under his guidance, even while he's in prison. So, take a look at chapter 2, Philippians 2, verse 19, is where we'll start. He says, but I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, that I also may be encouraged when I know your state. So we see here that Paul is still able to operate. He's still caring for the church, even though he's locked up. Um, He he still has this, he's still sending people. He's, He's wanting to minister to the church. And he desires to send Timothy to check on them and to minister them. And we also see Paul's optimism. I think sometimes we lack optimism. I don't know about you, but the current state of our country and our world lends to that. There's not a lot of optimism out there. 
well, I'm not locked up in prison, so perhaps I have more to be optimistic about than what it looks like Paul did. But the reality is we have the same thing to be optimistic about. The Apostle Paul and me and each one of you have the same thing to be optimistic about, and that is that God, what Paul said in Romans is, all things work together for good, for the glory of God, for, the, for those who love God, right? For those who are called according to his purpose. We all have that same optimism, and we should have. But we see here specific optimism of Paul that he's going to hear good things. He says, that I also may be encouraged when I know your state. I am going to be, he's like, I'm ready for some good news. I'm, it's a little suppressive here in the Roman prison. You know, it, it, things aren't always good news when you're <laughs> under Nero. And he's like, when I hear of you, I know it's going to be good news. And so he's, he's looking forward to hearing um, firsthand what's going on with the church in Philippi. And, and it also shows that the state of the church in, the, in, the, in Philippi was Paul's concern. That's what he's worried about. How is the church doing so, I mean, you just think about this. Paul's in prison, and he doesn't know if he's going to be spared or killed. He's going to be let go or martyred or in, somewhere in between. He doesn't know exactly what's going to happen, but his concern is the church in Philippi, the souls that are there. And he's wanting to hear good news from that. And I thought, that's convicting, Right? Is it convicting to you? And it's easy, it's easy for us to say, well, yeah, but, but we don't write letters anymore. If I was writing a letter, I, I would probably, you know, I would probably put the more positive things in that. Like, really? We may not write letters. Do we write? It's a lot, right? Like somehow or another, when you write it down, you should stop and think about what you wrote and think, well, man, that sounds really selfish. I don't know if you guys are on social media, but that's not necessarily what we always see, right? We don't, it's very rare to see somebody that has that much conviction and that much passion for somebody else. Um, is that what your social media looks like? Is that what my social media looks like? Is my general concern for the souls of others? Paul's was. That's what we're seeing here. In a very dire situation, Paul's concern was for those in Philippi and no doubt other churches that he had established and all of his brothers and sisters in Christ way more than himself. Look at verse 20. So he's wanting to send Timothy, right? He's wanting to send him shortly. And it says in verse 20, For I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. Wow. This is, that's, a, that's a powerful statement, right? No one like-minded. He has no one available to send other than Timothy. There's multiple reasons for this. The others with him are not like-minded with Paul. Now, this doesn't necessarily mean that they disagree on the gospel. As, as we look at the context here, it doesn't even mean that there's major di theological differences. 
What we see in context here is they are not like-minded in the attitude towards the church and specifically the Philippian church. They will not sincerely care for your state, is what he says. They will not sincerely care for your state. And that, that just shows us, when we, we've said this again and again, we know this to be true, and we all have to examine ourselves to see where we land on this. But you can be absolutely 100% correct theologically. And if you don't have a love for others, it is a cold faith. That If your theology doesn't drive you to, first of all, love God, and secondly, to love others, then you have misunderstood the entire point of theology. And you can go get rid of all those books, and you can get, rid, get them out of there, and go back to the Word of God and find out what Paul was truly teaching. We can get so bogged down in theology, in studying, in discussions, obscure things here and there, and we miss the entire point, which is to love God and love your neighbor. It really is that simple. And if all of that truth isn't driving you to that, you're missing the truth. And that's what Paul's saying about these others that are there, I think. He's saying, Timothy's the only one that I think will truly, sincerely care for you. And it could be... Um, it could be that they didn't want to make the trip. It wasn't an easy trip. We'll talk more of that in a minute. But they, they will not sincerely care for your state. This is a huge deal that we need to think about in ministry. It's a huge deal with ministers, pastors, deacons, evangelists, missionaries. Anyone who's doing the work of the Lord. The question must be asked, do they sincerely care for the state of the flock? Do they sincerely care for the state of those who profess Christ? Verse 21, Paul says, They seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus. They seek their own. It, in, in one way, it's kind of encouraging to see this, that this isn't a new thing. It was, it's been going on since Christianity existed. It's no surprise because we know what's in man's heart. We know that even as believers, we battle with things like pride, selfishness, right? But look back in verse, look back in verse 15 and 16. Paul said, some indeed preach Christ even from envy and strife and some also from goodwill. The former preach Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely, Supposing to add affliction to my chains. But remember what he says. He goes on down then in verse 18. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And in this I rejoice. Yes, and will rejoice. So God is using even these selfish ambitions of a preacher to, to get Christ preached. To get the gospel preached. But Paul's saying, I can't send those to you. They can stand out here and they can preach and, it's, and it is using a platform. God is using them to proclaim the gospel. But if I send them, they won't truly care for you. That's what he's saying here. That's, who, that's who's not like-minded with Paul. They all seek their own. Turn over to 2 Timothy. 
chapter 4. It's just real short. He's talking to Timothy again, so we see it again. He says, Be diligent to come to me quickly, for Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world, and has departed for Thessalonica. Turn over to the third book of John. He says, I wrote, this is John talking, I wrote to the church, but Diotrophes, who loves to have the preeminence among them, does not receive us. Therefore, if I come, I will call to mind his deeds, which he does, to prating against us with malicious words and not content with that he himself does not receive the brethren and forbids those who wish to, putting them out of the church. Those are, the, those are the men that Paul is talking about. I can't send them. They are not like-minded with me. They won't care for you. They won't come. John Gill said this. He said, They sought for popular applause, for honor and glory of men, as the Pharisees of old did, and particularly their own ease and health, and did not choose to undertake such a fatiguing journey as was from Rome to Philippi. It could have been that Paul said, all right, who wants to go? It may be one of those things that he said, who wants to preach? And everybody's hand goes up. But who wants to go? How far is it? It's over a thousand miles. And before we get too judgmental here, let's not act like any of us would be signing right up. A thousand miles, twelve hundred miles in those times. At the best, the absolute best conditions, it would have taken six weeks to get there. But Timothy said, I'll go. As soon as we get this settled, I'm on my way. Why? Timothy had a like mind with Paul and he cared for those people in Philippi. And he cared for the work of God, which God had for him to do. It's kind of like Isaiah when he said, here I am, send me. Oh, nobody's going to listen to you. Are you going to get the glory? Send me. And that's the motive. That's what we should be seeking here. So there's two things I want to examine here. The first one is, what is your motive? What is the the reason that you do the things that you do? Whatever it is. Whether it's your job. Whether it's your household. Whether it's your hobbies, whether it's ministry, what is the reason reason that you do those things, especially in ministry, especially in the name of Christ? Are you seeking the approval or praise of men? Are you seeking glory for yourself? Do you have a desire to have your name well known? Or do you truly have a heart for the people? I, I saw a quote, I don't, now I don't even remember who it was, but it was, Preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and then die and be forgotten. And I thought, that is the call of a, that's the call of a preacher. It doesn't always work that way. Some, some men are well known. 
But it's like Paul Washer said, the best preacher in the world right now is probably some unknown guy in Brazil in the, in the rainforest. Right? He's not well known. Just because he's not on a big platform doesn't mean he's not the best. Do we have a heart for the people? Do we desire to see God exalted and to see people serve him? Are we willing to travel from Rome to Philippi? Are we willing to sacrifice? And trust me, this is, it's like Vody Bauckham said, this is, you're getting it one day. I've been with it all week. This is, this is major examination of my own heart. It's a major examination of my own time and, and the sacrifices that I have failed to make for you. So that's the first thing, is what is your motive? The second thing is this. What is the motive of the people you are following? That's a hard thing. That's a hard thing to write as a pastor. Right? What do you see the motive of me? And Randy and Paul and Paul. Right? course this includes us but here's the problem it also includes many others and in this in this day and age it could include hundreds of others right because we have blogs and podcasts and books and youtube sermons and there's probably other things that i don't know that I'm, technology is quickly passing me by is that about it i get them all tiktok is there tiktok theologians out there i'm sure there are but you have all of these people and they're all putting things on the internet constantly. And I, I follow a bunch of them and, and, I, and I wonder about the motive. What is their motive? The people that you are watching, the people that you are listening to, the people that you are reading, are they more concerned with views on YouTube than they are your soul? They don't know you, probably. This is why this, this bothers me. I, I've noticed if you want views, this is, not a, this is not a lesson on how to get a lot of views or likes or whatever, but it, it's true. What I've noticed is if you want to get a lot of views on YouTube or a lot of hits on Facebook or whatever it is, the more controversial you are, the more you're going to get. Ben Shapiro is making a very good living on that fact right there. And I like listening to him. Politically, I, I think he's brilliant, and I think he's a very smart guy. But he is extremely controversial. And I've seen people ask questions of him, and, and there's some others that are like him, and they ask questions, and, and they won't ever just admit, yeah, that could be true. They're always wanting to keep the forefront issue right there instead of actually having any kind of compromise or anything like that. Why? Because that's what gets the views. They don't make the videos that says Ben Shapiro destroys this liberal college kid, but they love it when other people do. Why? Because they're making money off of it. And he's very well known. And it's not just him. I'm not picking on him. But as Christians, is that how we want to be? Is that the, is that the motive? So much of this goes into the motive. And we can't judge the motive. We can use discernment, 
with these people, right? We can use discernment. Is there care? Is there a care for God's people? Are you really concerned about the flock? Are you really concerned about the kingdom of God and the people who are hurting and the people who are struggling and the people who are lost? Or are you really concerned about getting a whole lot of people to watch your videos or read your blogs? And the people that we follow, the people that we are learning from, we have to be discerning on that. We have to stop and think. That doesn't mean there's not good in all of it. There's good in all of it, but we have to be aware of that. We have to be aware of who is it that would travel from Rome to Philippi. Who is it that would be like-minded with Paul and care for your soul? Because what happens is a lot of times, and it may be completely unintentional, but if, if, you're stirring, if, you're, if you're constantly going to these controversial topics, then it winds up stirring up strife within the body of Christ. And I think most of the time it's not willing. I think most of the time it's not necessarily on purpose. I'm not trying to stir up strife, but if I'm constantly posting about this controversial topic, I'm constantly ostracizing dividing God's people. We need to be bringing God's people together because that's ultimately what's best for them. But So we have those. We have those people we need to be discerning. But Timothy, Timothy is different. So let's, let's get to the positive side of this. We see the positive example of what we should strive for with Timothy. With Timothy. Look at verse 22. But you know his proven character, that as a son with his father, he served with me in the gospel. You remember, Timothy was there when the church in Philippi was started. He was present. Uh, He was there laboring with Paul when they first took the gospel. And you remember Lydia was baptized. That's in the book of Acts. He labored with them and established the church there. And there's something to think about when it comes to that. That was long before there were actually a people or a group of people to glory in. It was long before, when, you, when you're starting a church, you're by yourself. It was Paul and Timothy and maybe a few others. Right? And Lydia was baptized and, all right, we have a start. It's not glorious to stand and preach to one. We've experienced this. I think all, all, all of your elders have definitely experienced this. There were times when it was pretty much I would teach a lesson to Ronnie and then Ronnie would turn around and preach to me and that was about it. There's no glory in that. I know where this is. Timothy was there when there was no glory in it. Now the church at Philippi at this point may be much larger. There may be some accolades. There may be some position. It may be prominent to be the pastor at Philippi now or to to preach to them now. But it wasn't at the beginning. Timothy was there from the start. He labored with them. They know him. They know him personally. And he says he served with me as a son with his father. And that was their relationship. Paul was not there when Timothy was saved. Timothy was saved when, 
when Paul found him, when, when they discovered one another, when they first met, Timothy was already a believer. But Paul no doubt took him under his wing and discipled him and taught him the deeper truths of Scripture and how to live and how to act. And, and you can see that Timothy has gotten a hold of it completely and that they're like-minded, not only in theology, but in their care and their love for Christ and in their care for the people. And, and you notice that he didn't serve Paul, but he says he served with me. There is no serving of men in this. It's serving Christ, and you serve Christ by serving men. So he served with him. He was always there with him, and they knew it. He's saying, you will know him. This is the same guy that was there when, when we were there last. In verse 24, he says, But I trust in the Lord that I myself... Oh, wait, no, verse 23... He says, therefore, I hope to send him at once as soon as I see how it goes with me. And so this kind of shows you that Paul's expecting a legal decision soon. He's expecting this issue to be resolved soon. He can see it coming, but he doesn't know still yet exactly what it is, what it's going to be, how it's going to turn out. Uh, there could have been stipulations. There could have been legal stipulations keeping Timothy there. We don't know the full details, or it could just be, which I think would definitely be the case, if it was somebody who had mentored me my almost entire Christian life, um, Timothy's probably saying, no, I'm not leaving you right now. We don't know the outcome of this. If the outcome is not what we hope, if the outcome is negative, if the outcome is death, I'm not leaving you. And, and the reality is, Paul doesn't want him to. Right? He's going to need him. We need one another in those times of persecution. We need one another in times of distress. And that shows it. He says, so as soon as we know, as soon as I see how it goes with me, Timothy's coming. So when this is complete, and I know that, that I'm going to, it's going to be okay, then Timothy's on his way. And then verse 24, he says, but I trust in the Lord that I myself shall also come shortly. And so we see another positive, another hopeful word that he is expecting this to turn out well. And he will come also when he gets released. And you notice it, it, he trusts in the Lord. He's locked up. Things are, have been not great for Paul. And you're going to see that next Month When I preach the, the third chapter, you're going to see all kinds of um, things that he has given up. Um, earthly standards, things aren't going well for Paul. But he says, I trust in the Lord. I don't trust in the law. I don't trust in the system. Certainly not in Nero to do what's right here. Only in the Lord. But he trusts in the Lord that he also will get to come shortly. So he is trusting God at this point in his prayers that God is going to release him, and it's not his time to die yet. Of course, we know later it will be, and we'll see it. You see it later in, Timothy, in the book of Timothy, um, in his second imprisonment. So look at verse 25. Yet I considered it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier, but your messenger and the one who ministered to my need. So now we get a look at another character. 
to kind of show what's going on. Epaphroditus has been sent from the Philippians to minister to Paul. Now you got to remember too, when you were in prison in that time in Rome, now Paul was, it was more of a house arrest type situation here, but you, if you go to prison now, it's not as bad as it was there. Okay. I, I, we did a lot of prison ministry. Um, for years and years, so I spent a lot of time in there and, and got to see things. And trust me, it's not a place you want to go, all right? So don't get this idea like it's this cushy thing. They got it way too good. It's not good, but they have food and they have clothes provided. In these times, you didn't have that. Anything that was provided to you, somebody had to bring it. You had the bare minimum. And they would, if you needed clothes, if you were cold, that's why when he pray, when he sent, when he's talking to Timothy later, he says, send me your, bring my cloak, bring my books, bring my cloak. I'm cold, right? He needs those things because they're not going to provide it for you. And I think that's what happened here with, with uh, Epaphroditus. He had a need and probably somewhat financial. And so the church in Philippi sent him as their messenger to bring Paul what he needed. And that, again, how about this? So we, we, we saw the heart of Paul um, towards the church. How about the heart of the church towards Paul? I mean, or, or the heart of Epaphroditus, right? This man is going to travel at the minimum six weeks to take Paul, one guy, something that he needs. Wow, do we have that same heart? And so we get a look at we get a little more of a look at what kind of guy this was. Paul calls him brother, and it's, of course it's not his biological brother. He calls him brother because it's his brother in Christ, as we call one another brother and sister. But look further there. He says, "My brother, my fellow worker." And fellow soldier. Do we remember that we're born into war? Every, the life of every believer is a warfare. You know, as we look in the, in the equipping hour and we, we've been looking at the spiritual realm and there's this spiritual war going on. Of course, you read the sixth chapter of Ephesians and you realize this war is not a flesh and blood war, but it's a spiritual battle. And I know for me personally, I forget that from time to time. And we have these dealings with people and they come and we, we, we see them as an enemy. And the reality is they are not the enemy. The enemy is not flesh and blood. The enemy is in, is in high places, in the spiritual realm. And how do you fight that battle? It's not with fleshly means that I know for the men is how we want to do it. It wells up inside of us and we want to fight this thing in a fleshly way. And that's not where that battle will be won. It is so opposite of the world. In a, in a real warfare, in a physical battle, when you get on your knees, you lose. That's how you kneel. That's how you surrender. Get on your knees and submit. In this battle, that's how you win. 
You get on your knees and submit to Christ and let him fight the battle. And make no mistake, he will win it. He's a fellow soldier. He's a fellow worker. He is one that's not just sitting idly by, consuming Christianity, but he's out there working. We don't know what he does. We know one thing. He made the trip from Philippi to Rome that probably not very many people wanted to make. Not very many people could make. And he made it for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the kingdom. And then he says in verse 26, Since he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. For indeed he was sick almost unto death. So what I figure happened here was in that journey, it extremely difficult journey, he probably was healthy when he left, and by the time he got there, he was almost dead. We see just how sick he was. He was almost to die. But God still had work for him to do, so God had mercy. But look at, look at his character. He was longing for his church brothers and sisters. And I, I really, that's one of the things we talk about it a lot, and visitors that come in here a lot notice this about our congregation. There's fellowship. I think there's a longing to see one another. I know, I think it was two weeks ago, we missed Sunday. Um, I was preaching over at Gailey. And it was just strange not seeing everybody. And then we weren't able to be here Wednesday night, and it was really strange. And I was so thankful. We were driving along. My daughter didn't realize it was Wednesday. So we're driving along, and we go by a church, and there's people and she's like, oh, it's Wednesday. And she was upset that we missed it. I was like, yeah, that is how it should be. And that's what we see here with this man. He, he's longing for those that he's, he's left. He's left them behind. He hasn't seen them in a long time, and he's longing for them. But look at his biggest, the reason he's the most distraught. Isn't because he's sick and almost to die, but because they're worried about him. He's not worried about himself. He's worried about their concern. Like, I don't want them to worry. I want them to go on. I want them to be happy. I want them to be serving Christ joyfully, but they're worried about me. So his, his concern, again, like Paul's, was for that congregation, for those people of God. In verse 27, he says, He was sick, almost unto death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also. Lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. And we see just the humanity here of Paul. We see that he has the same emotions we had, right? He's the same, he's in this same flesh body that, that we were in. He was a man just like we are. And he had desires. He had sorrow. And he was very thankful to God that he spared Epaphroditus, because if he wouldn't have, it would have been overwhelming sorrow. On top of all that he's already dealing with, he would have lost his brother. Have you ever had a brother like that? Sister? Of course. Of course we have. When you lose them, whenever they, they go into these, when they get sick like this, and there, there's a prayer of God to save them. And so he's thankful. He's rejoicing that he has been spared and then verse 28, he says, Therefore, I sent him the more eagerly, that when you see him again, you may rejoice, and I may be less sorrowful. 
Rejoice when you see him. Hold him. Or, or he says, and hold such men in esteem. Rejoice. Hold such men in esteem. Those who labor for the gospel. Those who labor for the church. Those who are willing to sacrifice even their life for the furtherance of the kingdom of God. Those are the men we should be holding in esteem. And to be quite honest, there's a whole lot of people that we hold in high esteem that we don't know if this is their character or not. I remember that this was years years ago. Um, the, probably the best golfer ever, Tiger Woods. I would listen to the watch them. I, I, I'm not a golf fan, but I always liked watching the highlights because they, you know, it's some, the all the amazing shots. It's like, wow, that's that's incredible. So I would watch it on the news, and they would talk about how great Tiger Woods' character was. He was this this awesome guy, such a great role model for all these kids. And then it turned out that wasn't true. Um, there was lots of things. That all came out at once when his wife beat him with a club, beat him with a golf club. Turned out he was running around on her in all kinds of places with all kinds of women. And the truth is you wouldn't want your son to be anything like him. The reality is people didn't know him. All they saw was glimpses on TV. And I think that we have a tendency to do that same thing with some of our favorite preachers, some of our favorite blogsters, some of our favorite podcast people. We don't know them. They can look good for an hour or 45 minutes or 30 minutes or whatever. They can come across great. That's what Tiger Woods was doing. The reality was he was just pretty quiet. He didn't talk a lot. But these are the men that we need to hold in high esteem. Men like Epaphroditus, who's willing to give his life for you. Men like Paul, who is willing to sacrifice everything he's got for, his, for this church. The ones that we know are to be held in high esteem. Those who were, will sacrifice, hold them in high esteem. And look at verse 30. He says, Because for the work of Christ he came close to death, not regarding his life to supply that what was lacking in your service toward me. And we see that sacrifice here. It was probably because of the work of Christ that he became sick, without a doubt. The, the journey, I'm sure, had a lot to do with it. And, you know, just think about journeys a thousand miles is a long trip now in a car. You start looking at that, and that's a long ways. We have everything we need to make a trip easy. You can stop and get something to eat, something to drink. No problem. Well, you're journeying like that for six weeks. There's no telling what he could have ate along the way that was bad. Water was a problem everywhere, finding good water all those things could have caused the sickness, or it could have just been flat fatigue, and he got so weak that he, that he was sick. But by, we don't know what the sickness was, but by the time he got there, or he was almost dead. 
And he says, not regarding his life to supply what was lacking in your service towards me. Now, that can be taken wrong. It's not what was lacking in their their effort of service. It's not what they weren't willing to do. It's what they weren't able to do because they were so far away. So they send him to do what they can't do. If Paul would have been in prison in Philippi, he has no doubt that they would have been ministering to him as they needed. But because they were so far away, they're sending a man. And he was willing to do that. He was willing to die just to get the message and whatever it was that Paul needed on their behalf. What they couldn't do in their absence. And in this, he almost died. But he wasn't worried about that. He wasn't worried about his life. He's similar to Paul. To live as Christ, to die as gain. And so as we, look, as we wrap up this chapter, this is what I thought. I thought we should seek out these kind of men and women in our lives. And we should seek to be this kind of man or woman There are two things that are constant in this book. Actually, three. There's three things that we see constant in this book, both in instruction and in example, from Paul, Timothy, and now Epaphroditus. Those three things are this, joy, service, and now we see sacrifice added to this list. Joy, service, and sacrifice. And the key there is joy in the service and in the sacrifice. Paul, Timothy, and Epaphroditus have counted it joy to sacrifice for the kingdom of Christ. We have their instruction. Paul spent the entire, the last message, most of the second chapter was spent on have a joyful attitude in your service. Do not grumble and complain. Do not, if you're going to do these things for Christ, do it with a a joyful heart. If you can't do it with a joyful heart, don't do it. The same way with sacrifice. If you're sacrificing so that everybody knows you're sacrificing, that's not really sacrificing. You notice that Paul's the one bragging on Timothy and Epaphroditus. They're not bragging on themselves. Let other men do your bidding. But let us seek these kind of people. Let us seek these kind of people to be our examples in our lives. They're there. But you've got to seek after them. And you know what I've noticed? When you're around those kind of people, sometimes it's the most awesome thing to be around in the world. Because they are sacrificing. Sometimes it's very hard. You know why? Because they are convicting. You're going, what? You're willing to do that? You're willing to give all of that? I'm not willing to do that. It's convicting. So seek those kind of people and then seek to be those kind of people. We have their instruction. We have their example. Now let us go into this week. Let us go into this month. Let us go into this year, into our lives, and let's have a joyful sacrifice. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, God, um, for your ultimate sacrifice. 
you died on our behalf. Lord, uh, we praise you for that example. And now I thank you for the example you've given us through the power of your Holy Spirit and these other men that we would have an example of how to live and who to seek. I pray, Lord, that you would put these people in our lives that would help us to become them, that we would help us to become like them and ultimately like you, that we would have a, that we would have a will and a desire to sacrifice our own good for the betterment of others and for the glory of God. I pray as we take communion, as we fellowship, that we would have those things in mind, that we would love one another, that we would have a true love for the flock, and that we would have a true love for Jesus. And in his name I pray, amen.